0: Good morning from Washington, where Dr. Anthony Fauci has spoken several times recently with reporters about his desire to see a Major League Baseball game at Nationals Park, calling it the one time he can really relax. Others involved in the government's response to COVID-19 have had similar thoughts. Last week, Senator Mitch McConnell said that he, quote, thinks the country needs sports, unquote. I'm Paul Kincaid, director of congressional outreach here at FMC. Thank you for joining us for our most recent virtual roundtable. Today, we'll discuss sports, their return, and the public morale. Just a reminder, you can visit our website, www.usafmc.org sounds, to listen to any of our virtual roundtables you may have missed or to subscribe to the virtual roundtable podcast. In 1942, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, Commissioner of Major League Baseball, wrote to President Franklin Roosevelt asking if baseball should continue through the duration of World War II. The president wrote back saying that it should, saying that Americans, quote, ought to have a chance for recreation and for taking their minds off their work even more than ever before. Of course, many players were drafted and saw service in the war, but the games continued. Now, America and the world face a far different enemy. Organized sports have ground to a halt all over the world, from American hockey and basketball seasons that were already well into progress to national soccer leagues around the world to the corner park, now bolted shut as social distancing takes precedence over pickup basketball and flag football games. However, there are signs of a return to the field, though limited. Major League Baseball and the NHL are pondering plans to play at neutral sites, The NBA is returning to training. The Korean Baseball League has returned to the field and is being broadcast on ESPN. And in fact, the German government gave their Bundesliga Soccer League permission yesterday to begin play sometime in mid-May. That league announced this morning it should return to the pitch May 16th. All of this comes at a time when Americans have shown they're desperate for any live sports. The NFL draft coverage on ESPN scored the highest ever rating for the coverage of that event. That's our state of play, so to speak, for our discussion today. Before we start, a bit of a disclaimer. Our call this morning is happening in the shadows of the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Millions more are still sick. For most countries, the economic impact of COVID-19 is likely unable to be fully calculated. In this light, we want to fully acknowledge sport is of almost no consequence at all. However, as President Roosevelt knew, people under great stress need a release and a way to take their mind off those challenges. For many, sport provides that. That's the construct we hope you'll understand and that we're operating under today. Also, a couple terms to clarify. For Europeans, the phrase behind closed doors is understood in sports. It happens somewhat frequently. However, for Americans, only one sporting event has been played that way in recent memory, a baseball game in Baltimore during citywide protests there. It simply refers to a game which is played with no fans but with television coverage, allowing viewers a live but definitely different experience. Finally, much to the likely dismay of our friends from outside the U.S., for the sake of ease and understanding, we'll be referring to American football as football, and we will be using the American term for association football, soccer. So let's meet the panelists who will be talking about sports in our new normal. Tom McMillan is a retired professional basketball player, Rhodes Scholar, and Democratic U.S. Representative who represented the 4th District of Maryland from 1987 to 1993. In 2011, he was appointed as Chairman of the Inaugural Board of Directors of the President's Foundation on Sports, Physical Fitness, and Nutrition. He's also the author of Out of Bounds, A Critical Look at the Unhealthy Influence of Sports on Ethics. Rudy Vidal was appointed Managing Director of the United States for Bayern Munich in 2014. He oversees the legendary German soccer team's operations in North America. The team became the very first European soccer club to open an office in the U.S. dedicated to raising awareness of FC Bayern, growing the fan base, and forming mutually beneficial partnerships. Tony Baselli was a College Football Hall of Fame offensive lineman at the University of Southern California before he became the first NFL draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars in 1995. He started 90 out of 91 games during his NFL career with the Jaguars before being or being elected to five Pro Bowls and finishing All-Pro three times. In 2020, he was named a finalist for the NFL Hall of Fame. The 47-year-old Baselli contracted COVID-19 and spent five days at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville in the intensive care unit. He's since recovered. I'll be moderating the discussion today. Prior to my work in politics, I was an AP award-winning sports and news broadcaster who worked for some radio stations across several states and for the NFL during its broadcast of the Super Bowl in 2005. It's been a while since those days, though, so let's get started with the actual experts. Let's start off with the first obvious question, and we'll start with Congressman Tom McMillan. What do you think people are missing right now about sports?
1: Oh, good to be with you today. Uh, people are missing the connectivity uh going to the ballpark. I think uh, Dr. Fauci said it best, being able to relax, uh, sort of forget your... You, you, you know, your problems and pressures, and and the one great thing about live sports is that you never know what, how it's going to turn out. It's the uncertainty of it, the the thrill of that that makes uh, fans want want it. And right now, when you have this tremendous vacuum across television, it's uh, you know it's it's a morale it's a morale hindrance across the country. And so that, I think that's what fans are looking for.
2: And Tony, what about you? You know, I, as I think about sports, it's it's the ownership that the fans have with their sports team and their athletes, and so it's almost like this. There's uh, there's been a divorce from something that they long for and they hold on to, and it's it's a big part of their life. Um, you know, sports are you know more than just a game um, for the for the fans. It's going to the ballpark. It's it's the memories that are created between. Father, son, mother, daughter, mother, son. I mean, all those, uh, connecti- you know, connections. And as we, as, if each of us, or most of us probably as we think back, um, some of the great memories are tied to a sporting event, uh, a time with a family member, time with friends, where you remember where you were when. Um, I mean, I can remember, you know, uh, how important sports were for me. You know, forget about the professional side and how I made a living. It was, you know, the time sitting in front of the TV watching the Denver Broncos uh, and John Elway bringing them back, and I can still to this day think of sitting with my dad and my mom and and it cheering, and, and that emotional tie is gone now, and it's difficult for people because it, it, the, the the year uh, and the clock, our clock almost goes by sports. You know, it's you know the fall is football, and then you get into the winter, and you have hockey and basketball, and then. You know, and it kind of goes on throughout in the spring training with baseball. A lot of us have oriented our lives around that, and now it's gone, and it makes it really difficult.
0: And Rudy?
3: Well, thank you. Good morning, and thank you for having me on this podcast here and in this and uh, round table here. Yes. Uh, I mean, is, there's not that much to add anymore, but one of those things. What I wanted to say is um, that we've seen that in times of turmoil, sport has often been a welcome distraction, so bringing communities together. We know that because, obviously, as a German powerhouse with um, with a difficult history, and as uh, as a club was which was rebuilt after um, World War II, that was one of the most important things to do: bring the people together after after this um, um, uh, this, this very difficult time. And for us right now, it's really tough to, you know, have more live games because um, um, that's kind of what we want to do. We want to, we want to give the fans the feeling to watch those games together and bend the back and forth and, 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 and have this kind of unity and family atmosphere that brings sports together. And this is definitely something what the fans are missing right now. And
0: uh, looking looking. Kind of from different backgrounds, um, you know, as company executive, as a former lawmaker, as a former player. Um, what do you think the most important issue will be for you to confirm, and for the, the sports leagues to confirm before sports can really return to the pitch, even even behind closed doors without a, a, a crowd there? And Tony, we can start with you.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you know, I think as a player, there's you know, two reasons you want to get back out there. It's one, it's your job, and it's how you make a living. And um, so, you you know, for your family and everything else, that becomes important. Um, Much like a lot of people around the world who have uh, lost jobs, can't work, furloughed, and so there's an economic consequence. Well, it's no different for an athlete. And I think, you know, this is the livelihood, this is your job, this is how you make a living. And so there's a push. I think if I kind of put myself in that situation, I would be wanting – I'd probably much uh, less – I'd have – uh, I'd be willing to take risk to go back. So, um and then there's the love of the game. And so, as you think about what does it take for that, you know, to over, you know, to bridge that gap for a player to get, you know, to go back on. I don't think you have to say it's, you know, perfectly safe. I think we uh, we've come into this situation. We live in a world now, and everyone wants like, I'm not doing anything till there's vaccine, or we can't do this until we know everyone's safe. Well, that's just not. The world's never been that way. And so I think as a player, I'd want to know like, hey, is there testing available? Are we are we being smart cleaning facilities? And um, and so the normal steps that uh, you would take to try to keep yourself safe as an individual, I'd hope the teams would do that. And once um, that was in place, uh, and the data also said, I think we have to really go by the data and the science that says, hey, listen, here's the infection right here's the real numbers. As we do more testing, and everything else, um, as long as uh, we felt like the, the, that that that. We felt I felt like that was under control. I'd feel safe going back to play and I'd want to go back to play.
0: And Rudy, taking a look at this obviously from the standpoint of, of a team who has, you know, just announced today when they'll be returning to the field, what were kind of the the red lines that you looked at that that determined when you would get on the uh, back on the pitch with Bayern Munich and, and the entire Bundesliga?
3: So one of those things is obviously we are in a different situation compared to the um, to a lot of other countries because obviously this this crisis in Europe has been started earlier, um, coming obviously from Asia and uh, the entire system in Germany was. Um, was in a in, in good shape uh, in order to solve that problem. But, you know, firstly, if you do that and you want to bring, you know, this season back to life, the most important thing is obviously the health and safety of, you know, the, the staff and the players of each um, and, and team. That is of utmost um, importance. And um, if we wouldn't have the feeling that this is something what we guarantee, we would not go back. Um, to life, and I can I have to say, and this is something that we really want to share with another, you know, a, a lot of other leagues in the United States and, and, and abroad is the league has presented the league, is the German Women's League, has presented quite quite a thorough um, strategy and, uh, on how we play um, to keep us all safe. This is that's that's kind of something that's kind of something which is um, it's very important. And if we would not be able to do that, we would not uh, we would not pursue that. We're going to start in almost 10 days.
0: And Congressman Millan is a former lawmaker. Uh, obviously, we talked earlier. The German government had to give its permission to have the Bundesliga return to the field. The Premier League in England is waiting for some confirmations from the English government. And the French league, because of a lack of communication with the the federal government there has decided to cancel their season. As an American lawmaker looking at, you know, the Major League Baseball and and NHL calendars uh, already being into effect, as well as the NBA that you played in, what would be your kind of focus um, on what you would want to see before those leagues would be allowed to return to the field from a a government perspective?
1: Well, Paul, let me also add my perspective as CEO of 130 of the largest college athletic programs. because. College programs are slightly different from the pros. I think the NFL, as they're beginning to open up, uh, they're doing it with temperature uh, taking, lots of testing, uh, social distancing, and all those kinds of things. But the the real problem for colleges, and that's probably true for all leagues, but the real problem for colleges is, is that you know you're not going to probably reopen college sports until you can at least get some of your kids back onto campus, and that poses even greater testing challenges, Uh, and so, you know, we've heard from a lot of our athletic directors across the country saying, you know, we can't just have a football game with no kids on campus, and the other thing about college, which is unique, is that some of the bigger schools have big television contracts, and yes, they they could play without necessarily uh, having a lot of fans in the stands, much like the South Korean League, or 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 even like the pros intend to do. But the smaller colleges that don't have the television contracts, they are very dependent on live attendance. And really, when you try to have a game for those schools without live attendance, it becomes a, a very big cost for them, putting on the game, and yet they have no revenue. So there's a demarcation between large and small schools in the United States on that on that point
0: thank you all and from a from an athletes and organizations perspective obviously all of you have played have played sports and all of you have experience with different um, athletic organizations whether it's at the pro or college level what do you think the hardest thing is going to be to get the sports back onto the pitch other than obviously that the testing regime that's going to be necessary for covid-19 but from a an organizational standpoint, what is going to be kind of the the critical path that may slow the return to play? And Rudy, we can start with you.
3: So, um, of course, the most important, you know, the, the most critical part is for you know a soccer league with um, capacity of like uh, ninety ninety five percent. So that being said, all stadiums in Germany are sold out. With stadiums of a capacity of 80,000, 75,000, 70, 65,000. so playing without fans is a major problem. It's also, it's also um, given to the fact that you know a lot of clubs in Germany are owned by their members and their fans. And not having those is, um, it's very, it's very, very difficult. Just to give you an example, and you know the way how biomedical structures, we are technically the Green Bay Packers. And um, that now you can understand how that, feel, that the club feels or is perceived as something for everybody who loves, in this case, of soccer. So um, the, the 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 problem in this case is the reason why we do this is it, it literally in you know, order to you know let smaller teams survive in the entire you know Bundesliga and soccer circuit because we're depending heavily on media revenues, and if we don't do this, then um, we have we're facing a problem in general. So the system in, in in Europe is different compared to the system in the US because the system in the US is you have a leak and the leak is in making decisions on behalf of thirty two ownership groups. And in, in Europe it's 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 you know, it's mostly about the very powerful teams and as one of the powerful SOC teams in the world, we actually um we will definitely survive, but there's so many others who won't, won't survive. So we have to kind of gap We have to close this gap between the financial issues we have and obviously the the situation not um, playing in front of fans. Well, in this case, it is necessary. And as I said, we need to ensure the safety of our players and staff and visits um, of importance. So there is no room for error. There is no room for anything. We need to just make sure that we have the concept. And the league came up, we're going to execute in 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 a very disciplined and perfect way to ensure that.
0: And, Tom, what do you see as the hardest thing for for sports coming back, both at the pro and, and college level from an organizational standpoint and from the athlete standpoint?
1: I think the one big area there's a lot of fear in is that there'll be rolling resurgence of this virus in the fall. And just like in the Spanish flu in 1918 where you had to have some football in various areas basically canceled and other areas you could play, uh, some of our athletic directors and some of the leagues are concerned that could be a scenario that could play out so then you're trying to figure out how do you have a championship out of that how do you how do you build conferences out of that if some of them can play and some can't so it's the uncertainty of dealing with uh, this virus and not knowing where it's going to strike next uh, is of great concern and uh, because it's really hard to have uniformity of play if you you know, have a number of areas of the country where they can't play. So that, that that uncertainty would be the number one area.
0: And Tony, I want to talk to you about this question as well, but from a slightly different standpoint. As somebody who has had the COVID nineteen virus, we know. Multiple pro athletes uh, have been tested positive for for COVID-19. In fact, much of the shutdown in American sports began with a Utah jazz player who tested positive several months ago. Both as a a player, but also as somebody who's contracted this virus, what do you think will be the toughest thing for players, specifically those who have tested positive Mm -hmm. and gone through some of the same symptoms you have? What do you think the most difficult thing will be to get them back on on the field or on the pitch?
2: Well, I think, I mean, we've said, I think the uncertainty and the fear factor um, that is kind of surrounding this entire virus. And so, and I'll just go back to when I got it, I was actually not concerned at all, to be honest with you. Um, It was very early. Uh, I was healthy. My wife got it. Three of my five kids got it. Um, And, but you know, if you look at the, you know, kind of the message at that time, not to worry unless you have underlying medical conditions or you're you know older. So, um, and then you get it. and I end up in the hospital, and I think the most concerning thing for me, where the fear really comes in, I think this is persu- per- uh, persuasive across you know the world right now, and it's affecting everything, including sports, is when the pulmonologist at Mayo comes in and says we're not sure because the virus is so new of what's you know which direction this is going in, and so that uncertainty we don't like. And, and because, and we get fearful and then that fear kind of influences how we make decisions. And so as I've stepped back and gone through it, you know, watched, you know, the entire wild range of uh, symptoms and, and reaction to it. I think where I am right now is, as we go back is we have to overcome that fear. We have to be smart and we have to let the data and the science direct what we do and when we do it. And so as a player, I just want to, I mean, like to say that there's like, you know, we have, we're have we going to assure the health. If you told me that as a player, I'd laugh. I'm like, wait, you, you can't assure my health. Heck, I'm going to step on the football field. Are you going to assure I'm not going to get hurt there too? And so as long as I understand what the numbers are, what you know, there's always risks in life. And I think we have to be very smart. And I think college athletes or athletics is different because you have a much bigger uh, population you're dealing with. I mean, I look at my son goes to Florida State and plays football there. Um they have forty thousand students coming on campus. You have faculty. I agree that you can't play football without kids on, on campus. Um so there's different decisions based on, you know, the sport and the level of the sport. But as an athlete, just I, I just want to understand what is what are the numbers, what are the facts, how what are the you know, I know you're going as long as you're gonna do the best you can to prevent me from getting sick and, and we are smart and I have to take responsibility too as an adult and as a human being. And if I know the information and it, and, it, it, and it makes sense and we're making the right decision based on the numbers, but not on fear, because that's uh, I think what's governing a lot of this and not on emotion and everything, then I'll be, I would be okay to go back as long as the numbers are pointing towards like this is, you know, you can't guarantee my safety. You can't guarantee anything. I can't guarantee anything in life myself. Um, but as long as we're making good decisions based on numbers and we're going to take personal responsibility and and create as safe as environment as we possibly can. Then I'd go play. That's me personally, and I'd want to play. I mean, that's what we love to do. And I think that's what fans. And, and but the question is, is when do the fans going to come back? Um, because that's even a bigger issue that we have to figure out. I think than just as far as what the players will want to play or not.
0: And that leads us into uh, into the next question. We've seen a lot of economic changes coming out of uh, out of this virus that are going to be accelerated. For instance, tech companies, including Amazon, have become even bigger, pushing potentially small and and mid-sized businesses out of competition in in smaller towns and even in bigger cities. In the sports world, even before this virus, we'd seen live attendance at sports in almost every league declining. The game day experience has gotten a little more expensive. It's harder to get to. It's become less of a part of families' plans who have tons of different entertainment options. Watching games on TV has become the default for a lot of sports fans. Do you think this, uh, this trend will be sped up by these quarantines? And if so, what do you think the leagues may start doing differently to kind of confront this new, slightly sped-up reality? Tony, we can, uh, we can start with you.
2: Well, I mean, my heart just goes out to it. I mean, I've had family members you know, who look at the economic impact on small businesses and, and you know, set aside sports right now. For just a second. And there's people really struggling that are, you know, that are asking, probably asking themselves, am I being impacted more by the shutdown than from the virus? And and, and these wild range of emotions. And then, and you have the other side as well. And I'm not saying one's right or the other. And then I look at college athletics. That worries me more than anything, to be honest with you, because um, I think the NFL, they'll figure it out. I mean, the majority of the revenue is driven in the NFL by the TV deal. Um, Yes, you want the stadium experience. Um, but so much of it is the sport that is built for live television. It is perfect. And so I think they will figure it out and they'll overcome it and they'll keep the players safe. But if I look at college athletics, which is already – if you you talk to athletic directors and you look at the the strain even pre-COVID for mid and smaller schools uh, because of the demands of athletics and all the different sports and a lot of non-revenue sports that, by the way, we need and we want because they're good for college campuses. Now if you cancel football – and you start, you know, and already the can- on the back of the cancellation of the NCAA tournament, which is such a huge revenue driver that uh, that helps pay for so many different sports. Well, I wonder what it looks like, and I wonder what college athletics looks like, and I wonder what some of these, you know, um, you know, other leagues, uh, smaller leagues that don't have the financial backing. What does that all look like? Um, and and because the when you pre COVID you're already struggling. This uh this speeds up the process you said. And I don't know if there's a speeding up of the process of getting fans back in stadiums uh, until we really understand how to test for it, um, how to uh, uh, you know trace it, you know, isolate people and, and until we learn more about the virus. So um that's what concerns me from an economic standpoint more than anything. Not the NFL. I think the NFL will be fine, they'll figure it out and they'll move forward.
0: And Rudy from your standpoint obviously with with your expertise in the Bundesliga and the European soccer uh, soccer leagues do you do you foresee this being something that forces a lot more fans away from the stadiums or perhaps even as has happened in some some larger countries moves fans away from the smaller teams and toward the big teams where they can watch them on TV more often
3: So um, I don't really think, I know this is a very difficult time right now and, um, you know, it doesn't take too long to, it shouldn't take too long to get over that. But most of, uh, you know, it's it's most important that um, when we actually execute this concept that uh, we learn during this time and then actually have make everybody feel safe when they go back to the stadium. I don't think that, especially in, in, in Europe, and especially in Germany, that the fans will not come to the stadium. i give you an example. As I said, that the, we have a capacity of 90, 95% of, you know, from, and within all those, like, 304 Bundesliga games, that means that uh, Arena was built in 2006 and it's sold out since it was built with 75,000 each game. So the people are craving because that's, that's their family. This is their place to be. And they crave um, the craving going back to to the, um, to the stadium. And, um, you know, frankly, we have the situation that we as a, you know, as, as a global powerhouse, we um, decided to globally. And when we came to the United States six years ago, actually we, we were facing the situation we probably have right now because the people are not able to go to any games here in the United States or in China or in India. So we're always trying to, you know, bring this Match Day experience as close as possible to our fans, and that's where we use those technologies. So um, we need to make we need to make sure, although there are some people who can go to the Manchester Stadium, that they have a Match Day experience um, similar to that what the fans in Munich have, and that's actually most likely guaranteed and um, assured by you know tech companies who do. Uh, streaming services, often streaming services, and obviously all the broadcasters. But, but I do, and it's totally right, we need to build trust. And as long as, because this, is, this doesn't have to do anything with football, the people need to feel safe to go back. And I'm sure we're going to find a way, and I assume as long as we can actually prove that the company we are executing works perfectly then the people will come back. But I must say one thing, because this is something that's also going back to the question you asked before, is the best concept can only be executed with the protagonists, with everybody who's involved. That being said, we have to rely on players who not only are doing their job in terms of performing, but also, you know, being very disciplined in terms of their isolation and obviously, um, uh, together with the testing, securing that they are able to uh, perform and execute the concept we want them uh, in a way we want them to do this. Because this is important. We have, and I tell you, I was I was scared that we would come up with a plan to kick off in ten days because we had a couple of players last week in Cologne and Berlin uh, getting p- t- tested positive, which is very critical because that destroys entire entire um, entire plan. But in that case, we still decided to move forward and isolated those, and still remind everybody to speak to the rules. Otherwise, we will we will fail, and this is uh, that's crucial. And it will be a role model for all needs. And as soon as we build this trust, the, play, the, the, the fans will come back, and it will be something will be watched by everybody. And uh, we're getting there. I'm strongly believing in that. And Congressman McMillan.
1: I would concur with Tony that the pro leagues will figure this out. I mean, they, they you know, working with the television networks, the ESPN, and so forth, they're going to come out with a product. It will be very different. I mean, players may be miked. They're, they're going to figure it out. Where the, I think the tragedy here is in youth sports and the Olympic sports, uh, because they're just getting decimated up and down the ladder here. We're really gutting out. Are youth sports in this country, because just look at some of our colleges right now, and some of their cutbacks are going to have to cut back some of their other sports, some of their less revenue-producing sports, and the reverberations for youth sports, which is so important for kids and especially underserved communities, I think is very real. And I, I think we're going to have to look at funding alternatives and ways to support these uh, programs because you know when you don't have a little league association for playing for a whole summer it just puts it on its back and that's what's happening all across the country and so I I, that's those are my fears and uh, I think we're going to have to look at our whole sports infrastructure country differently.
2: Hey Paul can I jump in real quick? Sure uh, sure. because I was as I was thinking about you know, and I agree with the congressman. I mean, we're aligned. I mean, I agree. We have to figure out sports for younger kids in these non-revenue sports because they are so important. Number one, they're important for the health of our of our youth and, and our societies from a physical and mental health standpoint. So that's a very important subject we need to figure out. I was thinking about the fans. As they were talking about the uh, 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 football association in uh, Germany. I think, actually, that if – I just don't think the fans are going to be allowed to come. If you opened up NFL stadiums, I think the older population, probably older me and older, would be hesitant because of the fear of not doing it. But I've been having conversations with the younger generation, and they're like, the day we can go back to a stadium, we will go. And it'll be interesting, but they can't afford the premium seats and all that kind of stuff. It'll be interesting if the NFL, over the next – year or two years as they start opening the stadiums, I think the older corporate crowd might be hesitant to come because of the fear of getting it. But I think the younger generation will come and will they create a product that that younger generation can afford to fill the stadiums. And I think that'll be uh, really fascinating to watch
3: because the younger generation is ready to come back right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. when I can change something here, we have it actually with a different problem. It's not that we—I mean, obviously the fans are not allowed to come, but I can tell you that's something what actually causes a lot of problems for the fans because the fans think. In the end, the reason why we do that is because we obviously need media revenues in you know, order to, you know, have those little, little, little smaller teams survive, and that's kind of something what the fans look at it from a perspective of the total commercialization so what our fans would do is even if they're not allowed to come they would probably just come they will stand in front of the doors and say listen this is our sports this is something we need so we need to find a dialogue with those guys because that's a totally different story they basically hate what we do in terms of the commercialization they also know that this is important to actually you know and um, uh, go this development um, as, the sport is, as, every, as any sport is getting more and more expensive. So. so that's kind of something that the people would probably not fear. As soon as they are allowed to go, there's no question they will go. They're crazy about it. They, they, and that's, that's a difficult situation we have to deal with because there's a lot of emotion, a lot of um, craziness behind that, and I hope we, um, we have that under control.
0: And we have um, several, obviously, several different folks listening in from different groups, and we've asked them for questions and got one this morning, and it's for Congressman McMillan. A lot of the discussion around COVID-19 writ large across the country has been one of testing and and whether we are putting enough tests in the field to really understand how this virus has impacted the United States. Obviously, that is going to play an even bigger role in the sports world. Uh, We saw last week that that Majority Leader McConnell in the Senate and Speaker Pelosi in the House turned down quick tests uh, for the Congress, asking for those to be sent out into the general population instead. Sports leaders have talked about testing capabilities being an essential kind of precondition to returning. What kind of testing do you think they have in mind? How often do you think they'll do it? And and honestly, what happens in, in terms of these tests if somebody does test positive in your mind, Congressman McMillan?
1: Well, I was just looking in the newspaper. I saw where the University of South Carolina was talking about testing all the athletes. Uh, and, you know, if someone does, uh, I mean, it's obviously you're going to have, to have protocols. You're going to have to quarantine someone that does test positive and obviously continue to, to, to the best of your ability, socially distance. Uh, but it's hard to do, you know, on a football field. It's hard to do in locker rooms and so forth so i mean this is a a brave new brave new world but i do think you know like the nfl is talking about doing temperature taking and those kinds of things but and a lot of our schools i think testing will be extremely important uh when you know that you're on the field and that everybody is tested negatively i think there'll be that will be a a reassurance uh and so I think that's going to be fairly frequent testing. And so we, our testing regimen in this country is very challenged right now, and we're probably testing about a million and a half a week, and we're going to have to get that up by, you know, multiples of that. I think that will happen by later this summer. Uh, the question is whether, you know, what do you do when you try to bring 10,000 kids back to a college campus? How do you handle that? Are you going to bring them back in phases? Um, are you going to keep them out of big lecture halls? There's there's so many things. Every president in this in the United States of uh, is trying to sort through these things right now.
0: And a question for all of you also that that's come in from the audience: um, Do you think that that governments? We've obviously talked a lot about players uh, returning and fans eventually returning, which obviously is several several months if not a year down the line at a minimum but how do you think that that government should deal with the safety measures for arenas and stadiums as we return to in-person viewing should the government be responsible for kind of providing funding to these these sports events or should they look at them and say you know if you are going to continue operating in a safe way you need to do it out of your own budgets and tony we can start with you
2: yeah, I mean, that's an uh, interesting question, and I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, at some le- at some point, um, you have to put the responsibility on the individuals to it. I mean, you-, you can make it as safe as possible. I agree with the congressman. We need to test more. This is a testing issue more than anything. I don't think taking someone's temperature really matters. I mean, what is it, 20 to 30% are asymptomatic? My wife had it, never had a temperature one day of her life. My daughter had it, never had a temperature. And so – I mean, there's like all these things we want to do. Testing is the answer. Um, I think I think this virus is much more widespread than uh, uh, we understand. Uh, it's already been spread around because of the lack of testing. And so, ultimately, you got to get testing, but you can't test everybody. So, you have to create um, situations where it's as safe as possible. Um, you can't shut down this the world and the country forever. Um, we can't stop living. And you make it as safe as possible. You uh, get the testing ramped up at the best you possibly can. And then you have to um, make allow people to make the decisions and to be smart and understand. You know, do they have underlying conditions? Are they do they have a, people in the home that have underlying conditions, medical conditions? No different. I mean, this is different than the flu, but when flu season goes around, I mean, I've working in healthcare and knowing, understanding, people all the time have to make hard choices because they live with someone who has is vulnerable. And I think ultimately that's where we get to, have to get to. How, how and when we get there, I'm not sure um, because, to, it's, you know, who funds it? I mean, our, our government is, is trying to help everyone they possibly can. You know, what's the limit and, and where do they go? I think that's a, that's a, conver- that's a political conversation. All will allow uh, our, our congressman on the call with us to answer those political questions. I'll, I'll stick to sports and, and, uh, and, and talk about, you know, how do we get back on the field.
0: Congressman Mellon, what do you think about, about uh, the, the kind of load sharing between the sports organizations and the government as far as testing and making sure that that the crowds and the, the attendees to these events are safe?
1: Well, I, I, again, I'll give you a perspective from the colleges. I mean, I know that a lot of our schools are looking at testing regimens, and, and they're doing it within their own athletic departments, as well as developing a whole new protocol for cleaning and disinfecting locker rooms, the, stands and everything so i would say most of them are doing it on their own because they know that that's going to be a requirement to get back into business so that's not you know if the government's going to step in here what i'm more concerned about is the long-term damage as i said earlier to our to our sports infrastructure in america and you know, some of these little leagues and some of these uh, sports, these Olympic sports, that get cut will not come back, and we have to think long and hard about that. I, I think we'll be able to work through the testing and the and the disinfectant regimens pretty, 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 uh, pretty well.
0: And Rudy, obviously, the governments in much of Western Europe have a, a slightly different up than than the United States does, as far as being willing to to foot the bill for different parts of the public's mm-hmm. consumption of things. Do you think that that's something that you're going to see in in whether it's Germany or England or, or any of the other facilities where the government will start paying for for some of the testing and some of the safety requirements for returning fans to the stadiums?
3: No, I um I doubt that. I mean, obviously, um, in, in the end, I, mean, I totally agree. Um, with the other comments, is obviously this is something which is in responsibility of the individuals and obviously of the host of those events. And uh, the government actually supported this entire this entire um, venture and initiative heavily and strongly by actually allowing those guys um, and everybody you know return to uh, return to the season. And when somebody would ask me for support here in the in, in the US from a government perspective it would be great to have more kind of a political support when it comes to reopening those leagues. Because one of the reasons why we already started is because we built over the years an incredible strong relationship with the government and we would not do anything without the government. But we also know that the fact that they allowed us to do this again, um, that is our responsibility and we would take care of and we now have secured the funding Due to the, um, the the media the media contracts, um, so if we're going to do that, we have to make sure that at least we as a host are safe, and uh, we can isolate people who are infected. But it's tough for you know for even for us to um, to help fans to get, we'll, we'll go to the stadium to uh, to get tested in uh, in capacity capacity, whatever. This is like um, that's kind of probably too much. But, um, there is a lot of support, um, from the, from the politics. And, um, that would be great if they could do something similar. And we heard that when I was, um, and when I was talking to the, to the commissioner of, um, the Major League Soccer, that, um, he was kind of, i say, kind of jazzed about the fact that we have such a great relationship. And, um, yeah, that would help to, bring sports back and we know this helps to distract and uh, especially in those unprecedented times.
0: We talked a little bit about the, the concept of behind closed doors at the beginning and obviously that's going to be the reality for almost every major sport across the world right now. Even games that are being broadcast on ESPN are piping in crowd noise for the Korean baseball organization, but you can see an empty stadium with the players there bar a few of the the staff that are there on game day and perhaps some of the the other players. It's not a complete oddity in in European soccer to have behind-closed-doors games. There have been games where teams have been punished and been playing behind-closed-doors. There are friendlies just between you know two teams that that want to play each other that are behind-closed-doors, and so it may be slightly less weird for the European fan. For Americans, it's obviously going to be completely different. As we as we kind of start to wrap up, Rudy, do you think it's going to be very strange for fans to watch this many behind-closed-doors games on, on TV? And, and what do you think is, is kind of – do you think it will kind of reestablish in their minds the idea that the situation that we're living in is is completely different than the one we had before?
3: Yeah, you said, I mean, this is um, – it's, it's a very weird feeling. And it will be very weird for the first couple of games. What I think think is the joy of having those games back and the fact that this is such a welcome distraction will overweigh this weird feeling. And everybody knows it will be for a certain period of time. Nobody knows for for how long. But as we said, the safety and health of all people involved is is crucial. And um, yes, it will be. It will be something totally new to everybody, but as long as we can actually execute, um, then uh, that is more important than anything else. And Tony,
0: as a former football player, I'm sure you've never played a game behind, you know, in front of no fans, although obviously practice for, for most teams is conducted behind closed doors. What, what could you foresee as, a, as an athlete being the most difficult thing or the most kind of confusing thing about playing in front of no fans but knowing they're out there on TV?
2: Well, the first thing is, that as an offensive lineman, I'd love it because, like, if we hear the quarterback snap count, all, whether I was on the road or at home, so it'd be advantage. <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be a little bit of an advantage. But setting that aside, um, I think it'll be really weird because of the emotion that the fans bring. Um, the fans are a big part of, of professional sports. I mean, I think they're really, really important. Now, for, set aside the economic side, of, you know, of the importance of tickets and merchandise and TV contracts and everything else. There's an emotion that they bring to the game that players feel and feed off of, both when you're on the road and you know they're all against you, and when you're at home and they you know they're for you. And missing that, you're going to miss a piece of the game. And I don't think the TV product will be as good. Now, people will long for it and will fill it. I mean, I mean, look at the numbers for the NFL draft that was done virtually. I mean, and so you put sports on, people are going to watch it, whether there's fans in the, in, in the building or not. But I do think I, – I, I wonder if the product will be as good because of what the live fan uh, brings to the experience, both for the players on the field and also for the people watching it on TV. Um, and that's going to be a really uh, – over time, you know, uh, what, what is the feeling the players get um, for however long this lasts and what is, what are the, what's the feeling the fans get at home?
0: And Congressman McMillan, as a former NBA player, the nba is going to restart its season they're already restarting training from the same standpoint as tony talked about do you think it will be strange to hear as a player the bounce of the ball and the squeak of the shoes and almost nothing else
1: well i'm sure it's not optimal but you know when i was in the nba there were some games that we played that were not filled with fans we might be in It might be snowbound in Cleveland or whatever. Even some of the early March Madness games, there's not a lot of fans. But in speaking with uh, ESPN President Jim Pitaro, I I know that ESPN is going to go very far in trying to enhance the product. They're going to mic the players. They're going to do things that they've never done before on their television product. So it could be a whole new game for for people to watch uh, where – you know, we don't really worry about the fans. We're really focusing on the players and the competition on the field. So it'll be different, but I think it can work. Uh, uh, as I said, the, uh, the doing that in the smaller schools in America is, is a tough one because they have all the costs of football, all the risk of football, but they really don't get any revenue from the television contracts. So That will be interesting to see how that demarcation plays out because the larger schools get these tremendous television contracts. They can make it viable. There's a lot of open-ended questions we still have to answer here. Thank you all.
0: And we'll wrap it up with this one last question today. As we end the call looking forward, let's say, two years into the future, what do you see as the biggest change that COVID-19 will bring to the sports world? And Congressman McMillan, we'll start with you.
1: I do think that there will be some changes in travel and the fact that um, maybe a little bit more regional scheduling, certainly for some of these Olympic sports, not having to fly all over the place. Uh, so travel, scheduling will be a big part of it. Um will be, I think, two 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 big changes that will come out from this.
0: And Rudy?
3: I think maybe, um, we're all really, we're, we're going to become very very creative in terms of the way, you know the way how we actually um, um, you know produce those games and I'm sure that we will um, everybody will invest a lot in you know you know uh, league owned club owned media so those investments will provide and uh, will definitely make the stadiums safer, the arenas were safer, and obviously we're more cautious about um, the virus in, in general or the, you know, health issues in general. So um, there's a lot of room for, I would say, like, positive improvements, uh, creativity, um, development, and um I hope that we, especially with regards to that sport, and especially here in the United States with the world, with an upcoming World Cup in 2026, that this, you know, the development of um, the, the growth of soccer in the United States will continue, and uh, that this will be not of a negative, such a negative influence. And, um, you yeah, know, hope that this will continue in a way that everybody will enjoy the sports um, even in, you know, two, three, four, five, six years.
0: And finally, Tony Baselli.
2: Well, I think two years – I mean, a lot of it will depend on, you know, where we are with the vaccine and the treatment of COVID-19. I mean, that will determine what sports look like uh, over the next 12 months and 24 months. And I think, if you know, if we get back to where people feel safe and go to stadiums, I think all the creativeness that we've uh, learned out of this situation will just enhance the experience. Uh, but I think the biggest change could be, in which makes me uh, – and I think the congressman will agree with me as far as the worry – it makes me uh, sad and and upset is you could see a complete shift in college sports. If there's no football and the revenue continues to leave the athletic departments, the presidents of those universities are going to have to make really, really difficult decisions of of what sports look like. And can a small, can these smaller schools afford football? Um, How do you handle the non-revenue sports? I mean, those are going to be some really big, big decisions. And if, if this continues and you, you continue to see sports canceled and seasons canceled at the college level, um, I think we could have a whole new landscape in the next you know, 12 to 24 months of how, how college sports operates.
0: Great. Thank you. And that will wrap it up. Thank you to NFL Hall of Fame finalist Tony Baselli, to FC Bayern Mention's Rudy Vidal, and to former Congressman Tom McMillan for joining us today. And thank you all for joining us on FMC's virtual roundtable this morning. And we'll talk to you next week when we'll have a discussion with the ambassador to the United States from the European Union. Thank you to all of our panelists, and thank you for listening.